Anytime you're along to the ride, thanks a lot for stopping by. Glad to have this man back. He's a former FBI agent. He's an FBI whistleblower. It's Kyle Serafin. Kyle, how are you? Good to see you. I am doing very well. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, pleasure to see you in person at Mar-a-Lago. Fun times there. It was, it was a good night for the police state premiere. And a, uh, a nice performance by yourself uh, on the uh, on the sax. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. It, it was uh, it was really something to do it in front of you and Dinesh and Bongino and the whole crew. You had all of our compatriots there. And what you don't expect to hear anymore in this day and age is people singing along. All of a sudden, as I'm playing it, I hear the audience singing. I'm like, this is... This is America. You know what I mean? It's like you'll go to like an, a, a sporting event and people are afraid to even put their hands in their hearts anymore. It was so refreshing to be there. That's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I, even when I think about the, the national anthem, I still get uh, kind of chills around my spine because uh, it's an emotional song. It's about an emotional time. And we are in a, a time of crisis and war in many ways. So the, the, having a national anthem being played, it's, it's really a battle anthem if people think about it. And that's what it's about. It is. Well, I, I want to I hit on Police State a little bit. You, of course, play a big role in that movie, rightfully so, because you're, you're, you've been out here exposing for a long time what the FBI is doing. The FBI ignoring pedophiles and taking down license plates at the school board meeting. Uh, the FBI targeting people who happen to be pro-life because they dared pray. And then coming in en masse and, and in force to arrest somebody for something that seems to be covered by the by the First Amendment. Kyle, is there a time in history that you can go back to and say, this started 25 years ago. This started with Watergate. This started with, is there some watershed moment where the DOJ decided, we're going to be sort of the star chamber and the rules for all. We'll be the controllers and you can't stop us. Was there a time that that happened? Yeah, it's always one of those yes and no kind of answers. It's always happened. Like, the FBI has always had the ability to step over all the boundaries. It's always had sort of a problem with constitutional liberties, I think. If you go back to 1917 and 1919, there were Palmer raids, and they were going after people. They had a Red Scare where they were working under McCarthy, and they were doing raids of communists and socialists right. and organizers. In the civil rights era, they were violating the rights. There was an FBI agent who wrote a letter and told Martin Luther King Jr. to kill himself and and, and you know commit suicide. So there are problems probably wow. in every generation that have gone back. But if you really want to look when it got steroids, it was after 9-11 on September 12th of 2001 was pretty much the moment when the FBI got that shot in the arm. And then it's been metastasizing ever since then. I think that's the right answer is that it basically went from a very small fraction of the FBI was doing the wrong thing. And most people were interested in crime and going after bad guys and trying to track them down to it became the majority of the work and it doesn't have to be like a huge majority, but it was like, you know, maybe over 60% at this point now right. is intelligence work. And once you do intelligence work, but you maintain law enforcement capabilities, you are a secret police. That's what secret polices are. They are the capability of the state that uses illicit you know, intelligence based tools in a national security setting, but they also can lock you up and take your freedom. That's the opposite of America. In its most pristine definition, what was the FBI supposed to really do? Well, it was not, the, not what it's doing, what it's supposed to do. Yeah, it was called the Bureau of Investigation. That was the original uh, you know, iteration of it. And then it changed its name to the Federal Bureau of Investigation in 1935. And essentially what it did is it handled the problems of interstate crime. Because all – think about it when, it when it first was created in the teens and the 20s. We didn't have the radio technologies. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have the ability. We had paper files up in the FBI all the way up until like the 80s. Right. So what was going on was is let's say a local sheriff would go and somebody robbed a bank in Roswell, New Mexico, and then they went and they did it, you know, I don't know, in some other little town. And then they ended up in Lubbock, Texas, and they robbed another bank. Now you have interstate problems, and you've got multiple jurisdictions, and the FBI theoretically could troubleshoot that and say, we're going to take an interstate problem. It's a hob. Act robbery, and we're going to go and we're going to grab them because we can handle the interstate enforcement of criminal law. 
that's what it did. It was a, it, it didn't have the jurisdictional boundaries of any individual county or state. So theoretically, that's what they would have done. But what's even funnier is even back then when they were theoretically running down after gangsters and going after the Dillinger gang and Bonnie and Clyde and all that stuff, it was still like Texas Rangers who ran them down. You know, the Texas Rangers did a better job than, than the Bureau did even back in its heyday. So it's kind of a funny agency. It's it's one of those agencies that has legendary status, but mostly because it's declared itself a legend and people tend to believe it. That, that's, a, that's a very good description. KyleSerafin.com. It's S-E-R-A-P-H-I-N.com. Go and check out his podcast. It's, he's over on Rumble. He does a great job exposing what's going on. So after 9-11, I know that the DHS was created. The Patriot Act was supposed to sunset. It never has. The Patriot Act basically says, we're going to take some of your rights for a while, but that's only to get the bad guys, the terrorists. The FBI, did they get an injection of, of new money there too and, and new responsibilities, track down all the terrorists in that's the country? Exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly right. So not only did it get the terrorist mandate, it started off with what we would call international terrorism. Uh, The FBI has a section called ITOS. It's the International Terrorist Operations Section. And their job is to go catch foreign terrorists, which is a great thing. We want that. We want them to catch bad guys that are overseas. But you kind of run out of them when you have a war that's going on and you have a war on terror that we have a very capable military that was engaging in. And so they were tying up the terrorists overseas and there were less and less of them. So they had to kind of branch out. All government is sort of susceptible to this thing called mission creep, where you sort of say, I've got the mission of terrorism. Now I got to go find more terrorists to make sure I justify my funding. And they did. And what they found were a thing called uh, homegrown violent extremists. That's their term for it. It's an intelligence agency term, HVEs. And many people have probably heard of it, but don't know what it is. An HVE is a person in America that has a right to be here. This is not a hijacker that snuck in on a student visa and took a plane. This is somebody that was born in Minneapolis to Somali parents, let's say. And they said, well, I want to associate with ISIS or Al-Shabaab or Al-Qaeda or any other terrorist ideology or the FARC for all that matters. Like they could associate with any terrorist group. Yes. And by doing so, they decide to engage in terrorism on U.S. soil, even though they have a right to be here. So they are homegrown, but they're violent extremists with a foreign ideology. What what, what does that have to do with school board meetings and and abortion clinics? Well, I'll tell you how we got there, because what happens is you're going to run out of those people, too, because there's only so many people that live in America that are not swayed by the American way of life, which is better than where they would have come from. And they basically sort of, you know, burn themselves out. A lot of people have bad ideas online. Maybe they say some racist things on Reddit, but they don't stick around with it. So we ran out of HVEs. We ran out of international terrorism. Now we still are looking for terrorists. But you're already looking inside the United States and you're using counterterrorism tools inside the U.S. And so what do they started doing? They found this thing they called DVEs or domestic violent extremists. And that's guys like you and me who apparently have a Betsy Ross flag on the wall, or maybe you like to wear a Gadsden flag on the back of your license plate or on your T-shirt, or you've got it in your gym. And so suddenly now you're the problem because they're going to find things like white supremacy is what they were looking for, even though that's in short supply. Right. They do things like uh, militia violent extremists, which is basically all veterans from what I can tell, and, and some a lot of former cops. Well, well Kyle, it kind of goes back to what you said a minute ago. I, I'm sorry for interrupting, but it, there isn't enough racism for them to find. Correct. There isn't enough white supremacy for them to find. So now they're just generating it correct yeah in fact i'll give you i've been giving this free lesson out everywhere i go so your audience can hear it too if you ever meet somebody online who agrees with all of your worst ideas whatever your you know your stupidest ideas are especially the violent ones and not only do they agree with them but they want to help you carry them out And they're willing to do it for the exact amount of money that you have in your bank account. That's a Fed. They are trying to recruit you into a terrorist plot. So that's not your friend. Just don't talk to that person anymore, especially if you met them online. And it turns out most of them will only work during weekdays, too, which is kind of funny. And and it's not fiction. I mean, this is exactly what happened in Michigan, right? This whole alleged attempt to kidnap the the governor was uh, some sort of a psyop by the FBI, was it not? 100% 100% concocted, but it was playing out of a playbook that people can go, like, don't take it from us. You know, we're on the political right, so that's a problem for some people. Yeah. Go listen to a guy named Trevor Aronson. Trevor Aronson is a left-wing, uh, left-leaning journalist. He works for The Intercept, which is also not right-leaning. 
And he wrote a book called The Terror Factory. It's now over 10 years old. It was considered required reading for my surveillance team, which did primarily counterterrorism work. And what they do is they basically lay out what it is. They find people that are down on their luck, that are desperate, that don't have friends, that don't have any money, and they make friends with this person. They engage them. And some of that story was actually told in police state. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's a playbook that's been played on Muslims. It was played on blacks. It's been played on poor whites. It doesn't really matter to the FBI where they go and they find their terrorists. They just got to find enough of them to justify funding. And that's what they do. And that's what we're seeing. And that's clearly entrapment. I mean, what we saw in the movie, there was some guy who had no intention of carrying out whatever it was that he was being paid for. He just wanted the money. Yeah, and here's the thing. It's morally equivalent to entrapment, but it's not legally equivalent really? to entrapment. The moral equivalent of it is I set you up with something that you would have otherwise never done, and I give you money to be able to accomplish it, and then when you decide to go do it, then uh, I arrest you, and you go, well, that's entrapment. Well, the answer is, is there's actually a narrow legal definition, like so many things in the world, that says as long as you originally had the bad idea and I didn't plant the bad idea for you, and as long as you uh, said that you wanted to do it even after I gave you some outs, like, hey, uh, Joe, are you sure? Do you really want to go blow up the Sears Tower? And you go, yeah, 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 no, I really do because you want the money or because you want me to be your friend because right. I'm the only friend in the world that you have and I'm an right. FBI agent, then that is not considered entrapment in a legal sense. And those people end up playing out to 20 years of life in, in federal penitentiaries. That, that's, so, it's, it's crazy to me because, again, the example in the movie appeared to be a guy who just wanted the money, wasn't really going to do it. And just because he took the money, he was arrested for, I guess, the action of planning the terrorist attack. I'm not sure what it is. So it, you don't have to even have them procure bombs or or go get guns or, or actually show up at the site. You can just arrest them for taking the money, although they literally done nothing but take the money. Well, in the in his per, uh, particular scenario, I believe what he did is he took the money and then he used the money theoretically to buy something. The minute that you use money to do something, that's called a material act, material support of terrorism. So a great example that happened uh, in, in 2021. I was watching a guy who was a, an ISIS supporter. By all means, it was not a great guy and, and probably like, you know, mentally unstable. Right. But one of the things that he did is that he took his money and he wanted to buy a silencer and a Glock. And he also wanted to buy some other stuff, but he wanted to buy a Glock and a silencer. And he got the idea that he would buy them on the internet. The FBI paid $25,000 to buy the eBay account that he was trying to buy what's called a Polymer 80, which is like a build it your, your own uh, gun system. Right. And, and those are totally legal to send over the mail. The FBI intercepted it and said that he couldn't own it, which is non, I mean, it's like, that's not true. They actually broke federal law as far as I can tell right. to do it. Then they tried to uh, do back channel communication, said, I'm willing to sell you this Glock and this suppressor for like 800 bucks because he had exactly like 850 bucks in his bank account, which they knew because they did national security letters to subpoena his bank records. Wow. So they offer him something that would have cost, if you went to a store right now and bought a Glock, it'd cost you 600 bucks. And if you bought a pistol suppressor, it'd cost you another thousand plus a year wait, plus right. you know a timestamp. So this is a $2,000 package he's gonna get for $800, it's nonsense. The minute he showed up and handed the money over to the agent that was selling him, the undercover, he had a flashbang at his feet literally within seconds, and then he never even touched the gun other than it was in the back of his truck, boom. And now Amazing. he's in cuffs. And now he's serving a life sentence. I mean, he's got like 20 plus years in, in jail. He it's, out. Kyle, it's Kyle Serafin, FBI whistleblower. Um, uh, go to his website, kyleserafin.com, K-Y-L-E-S-E-R-A-P-H-I-N.com. Check out his podcast. He, he's just great because um, the, the, the fact that he's been in and he knows all this stuff really bothers the feds. It bothers them so much that you must go and ingest anything that he does. Let's talk about the Cyber Threat Intelligence League, the CTIL. They, uh, this is Matt Taibbi and, and, uh, and Michael Schellenberger. They're in front of Congress again today. They're in the House. And, and what are they exposing exactly? What they're showing is that the censorship complex that they talked about in the Twitter files, which was kind of our first uh, look behind the curtain of what was happening, Elon right. Musk kind of opened up his books and said, you know, come in and do what you want. 
And and the the pushback from the political left has been well, like first of all, they fabricated this, and second of all, this isn't real, and so on and so forth. What they've down they found other whistleblowers that show that this goes back further than the 2020 election or even the 2018 midterms. It goes back before 2016, and so they had some members of a uh, of sort of this British international American collaboration called the what was it called again? The Cyber Threat Intelligence League, which sounds right. like a kind of like a bad guy in a <laughs> uh, in like a Marvel series right. or something or a comic book. And these guys basically took it upon themselves to create this government-funded sort of private entity that supposedly they volunteered their time because they were such concerned people. They were worried about what was happening in Britain and the United States, and so they were trying to basically stave off the rhetoric that was going on for Brexit, and they were worried about Donald Trump. And they were working on actively censoring, working with U.S. government agencies and British intelligence and Israeli entities and so on. And so these guys got the, you know, kind of got the whistleblower activity and opened up these files and they are writing disclosures on them right now. And they testified in front of Congress to the predictable result that the Democrats said this is all fantasy again, even though the receipts are staring them in the face. Well, and well, this is not dissimilar to like Dan Goldman walking out after hearing Devin Archer say we were selling um, access to Joe Biden and Goldman coming out and saying, obviously, there's no evidence here. They weren't selling access. They were they were selling the appearance of access. I mean, they're really, really good at lying. I mean, very good. Just yesterday, Kyle, I kid you not. We're talking about this today. Yesterday, Kamala Harris was sitting somewhere being interviewed and she said Russia interfered with the 2016 election. They're, they're going to keep on with this narrative until enough people don't believe it. Then maybe they'll switch. I guess. But w- just if you don't mind, tell my audience what Debbie Wasserman Schultz had to say to I guess it was to, to Schellenberger. Uh, it was specifically to Matt Taibbi. She was okay. trying to basically impugn his honor. And so she's basically mi- all they do is they miscategorize people and they mischaracterize their opinions. And she said, do you think that if um, if Hamas, a terrorist group, is actively killing people and live streaming it and raping women and live streaming that, that that live stream should be interrupted and taken down from the airwaves, taken off Twitter and so on. And he said, yeah, of course, that would be a violation of their terms of service. I totally support them having that terms of service. And she said, aha, so you're not a free speech absolutist. And he was like, I'm not a free speech absolutist. I've never said that. I'm a journalist. I know that there are limits. I have things like libel and slander that I have to play within. There are all kinds of liabilities you can have if you publish things that are false. And she was like, no, you're a free speech absolutist. And I just caught you in a lie. And he's like, no, that's not true. And she said, I reclaim my time because that's what they do. You know, they don't want to hear a rebuttal. They don't want the truth. They just want to, you know, audition for MSNBC for the night, I guess. And maybe she'll be on. Maybe she'll get a chance. What's to your, she, she probably will be. It's Kyle Serafin. Go, go to kyleserafin.com. Let me ask you this because I think you know better than others. You and I actually, when we talk to each other, we're on a, a secure sort of a, a system, an app, um, because we know that others can listen in elsewhere. Are we any close to being secure and safer on social media or not? I don't think so. <laughs> I think a lot of the so what we keep because we're that, we're being told that we are, and and I, I'm with you. I don't believe that it's true either. Go ahead. There's a lot of people that have left. See, here's the thing. So the intelligence community is kind of a group of people that trade in information. That's how they get their power. Some people in finance, you know, they move around with money, but the intelligence community trades in information. And so when you leave that sort of work, when you leave government agencies where you have traded in information and that's your stock and trade and and where your power comes from. You go where the information is, and that's big tech, it turns out. So Google and Apple and Facebook and and Twitter X, those are all places where information is, and that's where they go. And so there's a lot of people that are former CIA, that are former NSA, that are former FBI, DOJ types. It doesn't mean that they're evil. It just means they're going where they know, and they also have allegiances that go back to the agencies they used to work at. So they probably bought in, and most likely their reputation is very tied to that government agency they went to. That was the whole problem with a James Baker, who used to be the FBI senior counsel, right. and then ended up at Twitter, they didn't have to tell 
Baker to go do something to cover up for the FBI. He was going to cover up for the FBI because he'd been in the DOJ for 30 years. Right. That was his, that was, those were his friends and he didn't want them to look bad. So he already knew what the answer was without getting marching orders. And that to me is the deep state. The deep state is administrative people with their reputation and their fortunes tied up with, you know, administration type things like executive agencies that exist uh, sort of outside of the elected purview. It's not dissimilar to to people going from the administration to Big Pharma and then back, and then suddenly the administration's buying billions of dollars of stuff from Big Pharma. I mean, we're not stupid. Uh, there should be some waiting period at least, if not shutting down the revolving door completely. Kyle, I could talk to you for two hours. Let's do it again very soon. It's Kyle Serafin. It's S-E-R-A-P-H-I-N. It's kyleserafin.com. Go check out his, his podcast and everything else that he does. I appreciate you making time today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks. Good seeing you, Joe. All right, brother. Good to see you. We're back after this. Stay right here. This is the Joe Pegg Show. I appreciate Kyle Serafin coming on again. It's Kyle, S-E-R-A-P-H-I-N. Go and follow him on Rumble. Go check out his podcast. Does a great job. He's got a great setup. You, you can hear it very well on the radio, and uh, if you're watching, you see it, it's a very good uh, setup that he has, very good backdrop and all that. He's got great knowledge. Somebody who is not afraid to whistleblow against the FBI, somebody that you should probably pay attention to. This is a pop culture. Whoop. Dirty pop. What's happening, Polo? Talk to me. So do you remember uh, that book that had come out by, uh, I guess it was Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, where they were kind of insinuating that there were some racist royals. Yes, everybody was racist against their baby. Right. Uh, how, how black will the baby be? Right. So apparently Pierce Morgan uh, yesterday said that the elite, if you want to call it that, that the racist royals were in fact King Charles and Kate Middleton. Wow. Yeah. I thought they were talking about the, the, about the queen before she passed, to be honest with you. There you go. Yeah. Thanks, Pierce. He's always getting it done. Thank you, uh, Polo. I appreciate it. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Carrie. I'm Joe. Back tomorrow, same time, same place. Actually, to do our, our yearly radiothon tomorrow, I'll put those interviews with General Flynn and Carol Serafin up on Rumble tonight. See ya. Don't be an A-dub. Stay with the Joe Pag Show.